Oh, hello. It's me, Chance, with Punk Journalism, and I thank you for listening to my conversation with Dr. Travis Langley. He's a distinguished professor of psychology at Henderson State University and the author of several popular psychology books, including Batman and Psychology, A Dark and Stormy Night, and most recently, The Joker Psychology, Evil Clowns and the Women Who Love Them. According to Psychology Today, more than 100,000 people follow him as superheroologist on Twitter, where he ranks among the top 10 most popular psychologists. We're going to be discussing the recent film Joker and how effective the film was at shedding light on the importance of addressing mental health issues. Coming up is my conversation with Dwayne Bidwell. He's the author of When One Religion Isn't Enough, The Lives of Spiritually Fluid People. Visit punk-journalism.com to see everything I've done so far, including podcasts and blogs. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and to stay up to date with what I've got coming up. Finally, subscribe to Punk Journalism on iTunes and rate and review the show. I don't ask for anything other than that, so if you like what I'm doing and you appreciate my work, that would be a great way of repaying me. You can also listen to me on SoundCloud and YouTube. We're discussing Joker. Uh, I reached out to you after this movie came out months ago, but you were busy promoting a new book, and that one's about the Joker, right? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I've got uh, the book that came out a month before. Okay. Uh, the, Joker, the Joker Psychology, Evil Clowns, and the Women Who Love Them. Okay. I'm and looking. it is amazing that the movie has done so well because the marketing department didn't know what to do there. I mean, they, they didn't promote it for a long time. They barely promoted it when it came out. They were telling, they were going back and forth on telling the actors, oh, oh, no interviews. Okay, interviews. Oh, no interviews again. And so it's clearly not due to their marketing department that this movie's done so well. What do you speculate that is? Word of mouth, for the most part. People telling each other yeah. that they were impressed and or very disturbed by this movie. I mean, I think that you could call just about anything Joker, probably, and it's going to draw a good amount of people, right? I mean, I think it was a good film mm -hmm. regardless, but I think that just standing by itself, that that's probably the case, isn't it? I don't know. It's, uh, there are you know, incredibly popular characters who've had movies that didn't do that well. So, mm -hmm. uh, no, it could have bombed gigantically. It, it could have been something where people were like, no, it's worse than Catwoman. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. And real quickly, that's people would have found out. You know. So, and I haven't been able to read this newest book that you put out yet, um, but you've become a real authority on the psychology of sci-fi related characters, comic book characters. Uh, and you've been a panelist at conventions all over the country with some pretty notable celebrities, right? A uh, few, yeah. Um, Adam West, Patrick Stewart, um, a, a number of others. Michael Uslan, the producer of the Batman movies, is a friend of mine. Yeah, he wrote and the foreword he, for Batman in Psychology, right? He, he wrote the foreword for the Batman book, and then he again he wrote the foreword for the Joker book, and he told me that someday I need to do one more Batman-related book so he can complete a trilogy of forwards for me. What do you have any idea what that might be? Uh, oh, yeah, I know exactly what I want that to be. Okay. What do you... I, I'm not being coy. I actually <laughs> right. have run into something. I have run into something before okay. where somebody tried to beat me to getting an idea out okay. in print. All right. So until it's – and this this is something – since I went about six years between – six, seven years between those two books, it'll be about that long before I do this other one. I've got other things I want to do in between. Sure. Okay. Uh, right now, 
I'll close in the contract on this one. Uh, I've got a, a slightly different direction because the last, well, the 13 books that I either wrote or wrote and edited uh, have been on popular culture. Half are on comic book characters. And even though it's an odd number, I can still say half because The Walking Dead started in comics, even though more people know it from the TV show. And so, you know, half of these 13 books have been about comic book characters. The others, Star Wars, Star Trek, Game of Thrones, franchises that obviously have mass appeal, but it's also what's interesting to me. What do I, what, what's interesting to me, what's interesting to people who might contribute to them, and that we think we can bring real psychology to, mm-hmm. and that we can say something we didn't say in the previous books. There have been a number of really good topics we've batted around that we've gone, it's like, I, I don't see what we would say new about this one. Or there's some really good topics we would love to do that a publisher just doesn't think it's the right time. Like, I would love to have done a book about Breaking Bad. I would love to have done a book on Breaking Bad. I, 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 for all, all this, so much where I'm looking at the fantastic fiction, uh, I, I particularly love Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Those are some of my favorite things. And I would love to have done a book about those. But at the, at the time when it would have been right, I was between publishers. And then by the time I started with the, the publisher that I've been with for a while, it was past the prime time. Uh, to do a book about Breaking Bad. Well, I'm definitely ready to read something new, and Joker's my all-time favorite fictional character, so I uh, speculate here pretty soon. Well, he's an amazing character. Oh, I mean, he's just, he's he's multifaceted, multi-layered, like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think he's a fast, I think Darth Vader is the only character that, in my opinion, uh, rivals him at all as far as competing for my own personal competition but and a whole lot of a whole lot of darth vader is clearly the the design Mm -hmm. when i mean there's a a toddler i know who was fascinated by this three foot tall darth vader in my house and so when he walks into my house he immediately says darth vader he wants to go see the three foot darth vader all he knows is the name and the design Mm -hmm. he doesn't know anything else about the character he doesn't know that he has james earl jones's voice or anything else about them. Yeah. So I, I think we owe a whole lot to design. And that's also important with the Joker, too. Even as simple as that design is, they captured something that helped make the character really flexible and adaptable to a lot of different stories, where you're going to have this character who's a mass murderer in one story, but you know, in a children's cartoon in another. Yeah. Well, and so since our time's kind of limited, I really want to get to what I originally reached out to you for. So... Years ago, I read Batman and Psychology, I think in 2012. Batman and Psychology. That's when it came out, yeah. Yeah, A Dark and Stormy Night is the full title. And I absolutely loved it. I devoured it. And years after that, in 2016, I came across you at Wizard World Las Vegas. And you were kind enough to take the time to let me interview you for the podcast that I used to produce. And I had a brain... Oh, I remember that. I actually remember that interview. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, I'm flattered. I'm glad you remember Um, So at that time, I had a burning question. I said, quote, you look at Batman's rogues gallery, and they're largely people who are very mentally disturbed that have been placed in very bad care. Do you think this creates a negative stereotype when you see characters like this portrayed as villains, end quote? And you replied, quote, you can be mentally ill and still be a very evil person. The average person doesn't connect the Joker with psychosis, I don't think, for the most part. I think that the media in general does a lot of things that it will affect these views. Batman's enemies are so far out there and so unlike anybody else. So when I saw Joker when it was released several months ago, I 
this came to mind. And I think that since then, since the film has come out, it's been recognized as an attempt to bring attention to the severity of mental health issues in this country and what might happen when people don't receive this, the type of help that they desperately need by giving us the character of Arthur Fleck, who is framed as a very sympathetic and relatable character. So I, I thought of our discussion all those years ago and how that kind of flew in the face a little bit of, of your response to my question then. And I wonder what your thoughts are now compared to when I asked you that question in light of, of the new film. Um, one, uh, I've discussed with people that sympathetic issue with Arthur. Um, I think he's an evil jerk. But um, in, in terms of the, the film is definitely presenting the most psychotic version of the Joker we've ever seen, where he, he very definitely hallucinates and has delusions, mm -hmm. which account for some portion of the plot. We're not even sure how much of the plot uh, is simply in his head. But it is in there, very much in there, about them addressing issues of people whose dangerous potential is not being treated. Here's somebody who has gone for help, who has gone to get counseling, medication, and funds dry up for his counseling mm -hmm. and his medication. And this happens. This is a, a real concern that some, individ some psychotic individuals are very dangerous and need to be treated for the rest of their lives. And it is, it, it is a worrisome issue. And it's, the film being set in the 80s is very appropriate because it was in the 80s that we started to see this deinstitutionalization. Not that Arthur was institutionalized early in the film, but there was this deinstitutionalization movement and these cutbacks on mental health treatment in the 80s as, as part of a Reagan budget. And so I think it is very appropriate for a lot of reasons in terms of story, in terms of societal discussion. You know, it's set a little bit before the Bernard Getz vigilante uh, subway shooting, or so-called vigilante. And it, some of the things that were going on in the 80s that are still issues now, but they... It's a different way of doing this uh, filter of fiction. It's a filter of time. They're addressing some of today's issues through this version of events in the 80s that create enough distance to look at the actual issues. Issue, I mean, people are constantly talking about incel violence when mm -hmm. talking about this particular film, a, a term that did not exist. Right. And an issue that, well... Still figuring it's the human nature, even before the internet popularized that kind of idea. And so there are issues about the, the, these concerns about neo-Nazis, about people being inspired by others to mimic and act out violence that they have in them already. Mm -hmm. Are you saying that it's less relevant because it's, it's kind of an apples and oranges comparison when it's set in the 80s and the context is different than now? No, I'm, what I'm saying is that it tricks people into thinking about the real issues without initially realizing that's what they're doing. It's, it's kind of like when Star Trek would talk about real-world issues, but through alien races, through, you know, ra through planets and characters and species that don't exist in our world, it would be the very real issue. But it would help people set their own judgments about the issues aside for a moment 
and maybe get to the heart of the matter in, in its own odd way. Fiction can address reality more bluntly than if you outright talk about reality. When I teach my forensic psychology class, some of the subject matter is so unpleasant that some of the students learning about the real-world crime can miss the point that I'm teaching because of the actual facts of the crime. I can be using a fictional example or an example that is very distant from us in time, and it's not as disturbing to them mm -hmm. in the same way. Uh, if I talk about a family that's been br brutally murdered recently, that is so unnerving and so disturbing to a number of them, to whether you're talking students or an audience or readers, that they might miss the point that I'm trying to get at. But if I use a fictional analog or a historical example, we can about talk about people who died 90 years ago in the same kind of horrible event, and people don't have their modern biases, their modern expectations, and, and just that distance helps them process and think about it. And setting this Joker film in the 80s is not as far back as that, uh, but predates the knowledge of a lot of our audience mm -hmm. members. Since anybody who's in there, well, now, if you're born in 80, you're turned 40 now. And so a whole lot of the audience is, is younger than when uh, this uh, film is set. And, and while they would react very unpleasantly to the same thing set now if it's more obviously about the modern incels or, or other modern groups. If it's about the neo-Nazis in America in 2020, that's going to get them riled up and not willing to pay attention to some of the things that that same movie is doing without, without talking about neo-Nazis, without talking about incels, but just talking about people who are getting worked up in the society of Gotham City, a fictional place, in the '83. Uh, is that when it was set? I believe so. Yeah, early '80s. Yeah. So you mentioned the incels and neo Nazis a few times, and do you they're coming up in the in the in, they're coming up in some of the dialogue about the film. So do you? But it's not even though it's not directly in the film, right? Uh, yeah, and that's what I was curious about because I got more the impression that the that the writers of the films weren't writing about incels. I think that that maybe wouldn't have even entered people's peripheral if the modern-day incels hadn't have co-opted this movie and the character themselves. And I, because that wasn't my interpretation. I didn't think that... I think that it just happened to be Arthur Fleck as a guy who is celibate because of his circumstances. And the neo-Nazi movement, I guess, are you referring to the, the Wall Street guys in the, in the train? I'm, I'm talking about uh, like you know the groups that will show up at you know a public event and start shouting, or that will get take out their anger at the world on particular people in any form. Okay, so like the clowns in the movie. Yeah, the clowns that you're showing in the film. What are, what are they concerned about? What are they worked up about? You know, the, the economy at the time. It's like why why are they interested in Arthur Fleck at all? They hear somebody who's dressed as a clown, has, you know, shot uh, somebody in a subway, and we don't really know details. It's like we don't know what they heard about it. We don't know why they're getting worked up about it. Or if you really want to take it broadly enough, you don't know that they are. It can, it, it's possible for that to be within Arthur's fantasy, too. We don't know anything about those protesters as people. We don't know their motivation. We don't know their background. Uh, we don't, I mean, it's not indicated. What is it that they've taken to heart? 
uh, about this Joker symbol. There's some kind of anger. Mm-hmm. There's something about vigilante in the subway, but about what? That these guys were pestering a woman in the subway, and therefore people are excited that they got shot? That's, that, that's what falls in the unreliable narrator thing with Arthur. It's like we don't know exactly what actually happened and what the public report of that incident is. So we don't know what they've been inspired by other than having some kind of anger about the economy. And, I mean, that's the only specific thing that we're given regarding any kind of motivation for those guys. Mm-hmm. Sure. We are not told what motivates them. So I guess in a nutshell, do you think the, the film was effective in, in getting its point across in, as, as far as a social commentary? I think the film was in effective in the point of getting people to think about the social commentary. It's, I mean, I go through that, and I am kind of wondering, it's like, what? Uh, there, there, I mean, there is the point of people who are dangerously mentally ill need treatment, and they should not be ignored. And cutbacks in the treatment of the, of the mental health care can cause a lot of problems with those who have that potential, even though that's not most of the mentally ill individuals, but that aspect is not uh, what's being addressed in that film. Uh, but there are those who are out there and are dangerous who their violence could potentially have been stopped if somebody hadn't cut their treatment or mm-hmm. if, if, they, if they'd been noticed in the first place. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's a lot of feeling with the character himself of just not being noticed. Sure. Yeah, and I guess that's uh, that's where I would also agree that the film is successful in as far as just people kind of going unnoticed when they they are very desperately seeking help, and and I I hope that it it serves a good purpose in that way. Yeah, that character is actually seeking help. Uh, we're not knowing if it's just one of the requirements for him to get some other kind of benefits, but there's nothing to indicate that. Sure. He is there in mental health treatment, does not appear to be court-ordered into it. And so that, of course, that's, that's a big difference from your traditional Joker. Your traditional Joker doesn't actually think there's you know, anything wrong with him, or when he thinks there is something wrong with him, he thinks, well, uh, there's nothing wrong with everybody. Yeah. And he's certainly not going to want somebody else's help. It is a different character. It helps if you... Think of it as as having an aspect of, of jokerness, but um, it's, it's not your traditional joker. But it goes back to that to the thing we were talking about earlier about how this is an amazingly adaptable character. There have been so many different versions of the Joker over the years. I mean, chapter one of my book on the Joker is which Joker? Mm-hmm. I go through the history right, and talk about exactly. some relevant issues with the, each major period. Yeah, well, and that's that's what is so interesting about the Joker is that he can be a, just a trickster, a prankster, or you know, a sociopath, somebody that you know had a very brutal childhood. So he uh, a very multi-layered character in that in that respect. Mm-hmm. All right, well, I guess that's a good spot to wrap it up. Um, I really appreciate your time and uh, okay. yeah, and and discussing this with me. And after you know four years, I was looking forward to following up that question with you and you came to mind you know as soon as i saw the film so i'm glad that we were able to coordinate this well i hope there's something useful in there (laughs) (laughs) certainly all right thank you very much